it's probably not any difference in engineering salaries to designers, maybe five, 10K here and there, depending on where they are and how senior they might be. But the senior product design salaries have been driven up massively due to the huge demand coming back off COVID of design talent. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Writers in Tech. My name is Yuval Kestacher, and I am the founder of the UX Writing Hub, which is the company that brought you Writers in Tech. If you're interested to get into the field of UX writing and content design, don't forget to check our website, check our free UX writing course. And that's about it. Today, we have a guest that I'm excited to have. We originally met in Berlin in a conference a few months ago, and I was pretty excited about his work because he's running a very big product design podcast, which I love. And also, he understands a lot about the fundamentals of hiring designers and hiring for design-related roles. Without further ado, Matt Carter, how are you? Very good, very good, thank you. Obviously, a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the reference to my podcast as well, which of course will be jumping on hopefully next week in the reverse order of this podcast. But yeah, obviously, pleasure to be here. Happy to have a chat today. Amazing. So Matt, let's jump straight to business. You just talked to me like before we hit record about what's happening right now with design and equipment. So how the market looks like these days? Yeah, sure. Funnily enough, I actually just jumped out of an internal meeting about this exact topic. So it's quite hot on my mind. So uh, over the course of the last year, it's been a really interesting shift to see what's been happening. So I think the, the start of the year, we were coming out of the back end of the core of that pandemic and things were looking massively up and you know really positive there was lots of growth lots of companies hiring designers specifically so you know things were looking really good and then i think probably around sort of springtime was when the first like announcement of layoffs started to happen not necessarily specifically in design but just generally in the market i think klana specifically in berlin and you know sweden where they are we're a big sort of one of the bigger companies one of the most well-known companies to start laying off staff and i think that's company uh, Klarna. Yes. Yeah. They were one of the big ones who first sort of announced the layoffs. And then it was, it's been a, a bit of a domino effect since then, to be honest. And then we started to see a lot more happening, a lot more layoffs happening. Companies actually going into liquidation recently, you know, whole companies shutting down. You know, some of the big startups, well known startups in Berlin shutting down. It's, and it's been a bit of a, a shockwave through the market at the moment. Don't get me wrong, I think there's still, plenty of opportunity there's still plenty of companies doing okay still able to hire designers in the market right now but certainly what i'm seeing is that there is a hesitancy a bit more reluctancy at the moment from companies to invest in growth or invest in hiring i think most even though there potentially are positions open on linkedin and things like that some of the companies I've spoken to, large majority of the time, they might just be replacement roles. They're not necessarily related to growth. They're just replacements for people that might have left recently. So yeah, it's a bit of a tough situation at the moment. Based on the conversations I've had with hiring managers, companies about next year, um, I think they're optimistic. I think they're feeling positively about the sort of comeback from the recession, the financial situation. I think this year has been a little bit like certainly towards the end of this year has been a little bit of a write-off and they're just putting together budgets and working out where they can potentially grow next year but yes it's in a bit of a difficult state i would say i think a lot of good designers potentially have been laid off so there is a lot of good talent out there that might not have been available if this hadn't happened but in saying that there is a distinct potential lack of opportunity at the moment but hopefully it'll pick up next year (laughs) 
Thanks for that overview. Like, based on your point of view, do you feel, do you see like people work in UX have problem finding a job after getting laid off? I don't think so. As I was saying to you before, I think designers often are quite a close-knit community, no matter where they are. So I know the Berlin design community is quite close-knit. A lot of people know each other in the market. I think designers often find jobs through knowing people, for referring to other people, just knowing people in the market. They might know recruiters like myself and have close relationships with other recruiters and things like that. But I think certainly from speaking to a lot of recruiters and also designers in the market at the moment, there is a bit of a lack of opportunity than there once I'd say probably even like three to six months ago, even that short time period, there is a, a lack of positions. There's obviously a lot more competition now as well because of all the layoffs that have been happening. There are, as I said, designers that wouldn't have necessarily been available for new jobs that are now looking for new jobs and may have worked at some of the bigger names, more established names in design. That unfortunately, take the forefront of the, the applications. You know, Having good names on your CV often maybe puts you in front of others that might actually be better but because of the name you know they take them over the others at the moment so it is it's as competitive and as fierce as it's ever been for candidates or for designers who are looking for new jobs but for hiring managers it's a difficult situation particularly with budgets at the moment i would say all right and when you hear about companies that being optimistic about next year so what kind of things are they talking about and by the way are there companies that hiring right now designers while others are laying off designers yeah, sure. So going to the first question regarding companies being optimistic, I think, as I said, I think budgets is always the question. And as we, I think companies are obviously in a little bit of a, some of it, some are in a little bit of a panic mode at the moment in terms of seeing companies lay off staff, companies going into liquidation. I think it's sort of a little bit of survival mode at the moment, certainly for startups, you might be reliant on in, in investment and venture capital at the moment. I saw an interesting statistic about Berlin specifically over, so in 2021, I think there was about 20 billion that, in total that was invested in tech in 2021. And then in 2022, it actually halved. So it was 10, obviously 10 billion is still a quite a big number, but <laughs> really like putting in perspective of the 20 billion that was invested the year before. And I think we've seen that common problem across a lot of startups who may have received a lot of venture capital back in that year and then looking for their next round of investment have really struggled if they haven't necessarily met the investors' expectations or targets that they've been set. Regarding specific companies, look, as I said, there's still plenty out there. I'm working with a couple at the moment who are still looking, still growing in a healthy way and still looking for designers. And as I said, there's still plenty of businesses who will continuously always look for design talent in Berlin. But again, it's just a little bit more competitive than it once was for the designers because they've got to battle with not only the people that are looking for new jobs but of course people who have been laid off and might have been laid off from some of the big names in in berlin and maybe take priority so i have some kind of an hypothesis that okay so there, there are a lot of layoffs right now in tech regardless to ux right May yeah sure so my hypothesis is that because there are a lot of tech companies and digital companies so that like it's not a financial podcast so i will try to explain uh, yeah, the yeah. Way that i understand things because i'm not also a finance person yeah but many companies hired many people because they had a lot of money right mm -hmm. like you said 20 billion dollars extra yeah or 10 million 10 billion dollar extra so they like hired let's say many people right and now they kind of owe money to their investors they need to bring back the investment from like profits and revenue and stuff like that mm. 
and now they owe money, like a debt. It's not a real debt, right? But they, they owe money. So many companies are trying to spin it to, and try to be profitable these days. Yeah. So my hypothesis is that uh, UX have UX writing, UX design, UX in general, have a very big impact on a business, especially like a digital business. Yeah. And that's why, like, if you have an organization, let's imagine a pie chart. So we have, like... Customer success people, we have developers, we have product people, we have UX people, admins, HR, and so on. So yeah. my hypothesis is like in the hierarchy chain, UX is not going to be the first to be laid off in organization like that, right? You have other people that will be laid off first. What's your take on that? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree that massively depends on what company, what their business value proposition is, what their business model is, and how they you know attract money and attract investment. I also really believe it massively depends on how much of a seat design has at the table in specific companies. I think look, I talk to designers all day, every day, and a massive thing for the designers is that you know a lot often the question they ask me is how design driven is the company, how much do they value design at the business, and I think that's. It is becoming evident how much they do or how much they don't with the layoffs that are happening, you know, where those layoffs are happening. If they're laying off designers, it's clear to see that they probably don't value it as much as they do product or engineering, potentially. So you, you do, I think a lot has been revealed over this layoff period about where companies are actually at with how design driven they are as a business. I completely agree with you about your hypothesis. What happened and what has happened very commonly with hyper growth startups is that they receive a big injection of venture capital and they grow substantially in the hopes that that will then follow with growth from revenue perspective, but also like, yeah, basically growth from a revenue perspective, but growth from a, a user perspective as well. So, you know, we'll throw loads of money into hiring lots of people and hopefully that will then allow us to gain the revenue that we're looking for, gain the users that we're looking for, but also meet our investors' targets for this next round of investment, right? But often, and what we've seen across the board is that hasn't been the case. You know, they've invested tons of money into growing and hiring tons of people, but the growth in the other two aspects there hasn't followed and hasn't met the targets, which means that they've, well, what they have been doing is, of course, laying off most of the people they might have hired during that period to cut costs and hopefully sort of start again and look to meet the investors targets at that point or the investors are just saying no <laughs> essentially now you know the investors are just going well look you haven't met the targets one big case of this i think not necessarily quote me on this but a company called nuri in berlin specifically big fintech startup lots of talented people work there but they from knowledge and from memory they went through a big growth phase and unfortunately have gone into complete liquidation now. And that's left, obviously, I think over 200 people without a job um, in Berlin that are clearly talented enough to potentially get jobs elsewhere. So I don't think they'll necessarily struggle. But that's, that was a prime example. I think in Trade Republic, another company in Berlin who went through a massive growth phase. This was the weirdest case for me because I didn't really understand it. They announced a further 250 million in investment and then laid off, I think, between 20 to 40% of the staff, like literally the week after or something. So there's some crazy things happening. There's something called bridge investments. Where yeah, like, exactly. You so, don't have enough money anymore. So you yeah. take what you have, but you still need to lay off people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, it's a, it's a really tough market. I think a lot of startups that may have received investment recently are being very hesitant of falling into the same trap of what's happened. I think they're being much more strategic and careful about how much they're going to invest into growth as opposed to invest into maybe 
other areas of the business or invest into personal development of the existing employee base that they have there. But, you know, a lot of startups, it's just about shipping things as fast as possible. And for that, you need people. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like many, many startup companies, many companies are now asking themselves how we could make money, like, and not like grow, but how could this yeah. app we're building right now yeah. bring more money to the organization so we could grow healthy, hire healthy, and in a healthy yeah. way without firing yeah. people at the end of the company. Yeah, exactly. I had a really, so one of my podcast episodes, I think it might have been the second or the third one I spoke to, one of the candidates I actually placed into a position, but he was at HelloFresh in Berlin when they were like starting up basically. So he joined when there was, I think there was six, six designers when he first joined. And then when he left four years later, there was like 60. And he was just like a hiring manager during this process as well. And a big thing for him was that there was such a distinct lack of quality focus in the hiring that they were making because like the founders or the people above him were just saying look we need to get to this number higher to this number and then we should be fine right now HelloFresh are obviously a very successful company but I think during hyper growth phases because there's such pressure to hire x amount of people in x amount of time quality is often overlooked over quantity at that point and they just hire people that they probably wouldn't if it was just uh, like we want to hire one or two designers for our team. But in, in this scenario, they're hiring 10 or 20. So they're just like, yeah, they've interviewed quite well. They might not be perfect, but we'll give it a shot. You know, And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I think that's where we see such a big upturn of staff or designers joining companies and leaving within two or three months because the interview process was not as it should have been. And from both sides, it probably didn't work out. <laughs> Do you think that people like, were like, too greedy in 2021? Potentially. I think because of the, again, the, the difference in investment that happened in 2021 versus this year, I don't think anyone sort of predicted that this would be the case. <laughs> I think because everyone was feeling positive and optimistic of coming out, out of COVID and seeing this, you know, again, big investment happening in tech and everything like that. I think maybe it was a bit of naivety. Maybe it was a bit of not predicting or not foreseeing that this financial situation was going to occur and not sort of putting the or doing enough risk analysis at the start of the growth period. I don't know whether it's greedy or not. We did get an offer in the areas of 2020, 2021 to get invested yeah. in the UX hub. And I remember f- thinking to myself, wait, I prefer to make this business, first of all, you know, profitable, yeah. make a good business. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Keep the, the team short and, and like small and sweet, you know. And I don't need like to hire 10 more people right now. I just need yeah. like my people, two people, three people to make sure that like yeah. everything's right. I think often what entrepreneurs or, or people who are going to build companies, the uh, mistakes they make is that they sometimes focus way too much on the problem that they're going to solve as opposed to proving to investors that this is a profitable business. Because investors want to invest. They the Investors make their decisions based off of, you know, when they're going to get their return on investment, how much return they're going to get and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, exactly. So, of course, you need to have a, a pro, like a, a product that's going to solve a problem. That's generally where companies come from is that they're new companies that solve a problem that's already being solved by others but might do it better or someone that's found a gap in the market, right? But I think, as you said, trying to keep the costs lower initially, get a proven business model, find product market fit as quickly as you can, make sure your business value proposition is a strong one. And then when you start showing that and you can prove that, even if, you know, if you can 
become profitable and show revenue, no matter how much that revenue is, you're showing revenue, right? And a lot of businesses struggle to show revenue, but they've got potentially a good idea or potentially a good product, but they receive millions in investment, but essentially it's debt investment, right? And so you receive millions of investment that you have to then give back or you know make and give back to the investors and then you start making profit and that can be years and years and years before that starts to happen and that's why i think as we've seen across the markets why so many companies are laying off people or, or going into liquidation is because they haven't been able to get the revenue start making the profits that they predicted or hoped for and now are having to obviously cut back massively <laughs> you know we need to give them that that in the last decade or so like many companies working that model like many tech giants grew from taking investment and getting that mm. revenue and profits only many years later a lot of the companies that yeah. we use every day like you know even amazon and so on it took them a lot of time to get revenue and afterwards profits so that was quite of an impressive i, will, I must say overview on the market it's, it's not a finance or you know tech market podcast but i think it's very important for all of the people right now listening to us, all of the UX writing folks and content design mm. folks that, you know, care about this field and want to see where we're heading. So I think it's quite important to talk about the overview of what happened in the market. But the next thing that I would like to talk about, if you don't have any further comments, would be about specific tips for people that want to get a job. And we have two types of people right now. People that were just laid off, which is a different mm -hmm. story than people that want yeah. to get into the field, which is also a huge chunk of people that, you know, they see great opportunity in tech these days. They work in another field that, you know, even today might be less even in demand. You know, if UX is not in demand in some companies, so yeah. I don't know what to say about graphic designer or copyright, for example, right? Yeah. But it's also AI replacing many graphic designs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which is the same thing by yeah. itself. So, what would be your tips for this type of people? Sure. So, I think with people that have been laid off, like I've had. Like real life scenarios of people that I've placed into new companies who have been laid off recently. The best advice that I gave, I think the last podcast episode that I did on mine as well, when I spoke with Rory, who was another recruit, our best advice is that unfortunately, when you do get laid off and it's a little bit of a more desperate situation to find something new, it does become a little bit like a full-time job yourself in trying to find a new job. And I think unfortunately in today's world of recruitment and world of getting new jobs, just applying directly to job adverts or links isn't enough in most cases because of the level of competition and the level of designers, the level of UX writers, content designers, whoever you are, the level of people that will be applying, especially in a remote world now where people can work from other countries and things like that. I think often what I, designers don't understand or just anyone really applying to jobs, especially in tech, is that these hiring managers who I might be working with or who aren't working with me, but might be working with the HR team or internal recruitment team at companies, they review 200 applicants for one position. And you could be a very, very good, strong designer, but if you don't portray yourself as one, you're going to get disregarded no matter what. I said, I know I said earlier that, you know, if you worked at big companies, big brands, that does often help. But if you're not portraying yourself in the best way, like if you've written a lazy CV, for instance, that doesn't really explain anything that you've been doing or 
doesn't portray yourself in the best line. If your portfolio is sloppy and you made spelling mistakes on it or you haven't really put the time and effort into presenting your cases in the best way, more often than not, you're going to get disregarded in hiring processes because they are reviewing so many. Separate to the hiring manager, so let's say a head of design is hiring for a, a design position. If they're not using myself, they may, as I said, the alternatives are they might be reviewing applications themselves if they don't have a HR department or the HR department internal recruitment team might be reviewing CVs and applications initially. Now, often we find problems that if the HR team or internal recruitment team aren't specialists in design or specialists in specific areas, what they're often told to do is just look for like buzzwords, keywords. They have a very lackluster viewpoint of you know how to screen these people efficiently. Now, that's not to say this is the case for everyone. Of course, there are good internal teams and HR teams that can do an effective job of screening CVs. But if you have non-specialist people initially reviewing those applications, often very good people get disregarded before they even get put in front of the hiring. So my best advice for the people that have been laid off or just designers in general is that you need to get sometimes, especially for the roles that you really, really want, go the extra mile, connect on LinkedIn with the head of design, connect with other designers in the department, introduce yourself in different ways, think outside the box and how you can introduce yourself better. Of course, still apply directly. But I hear so often that designers say, you know, even with clients I'm working with, they say, oh, I applied there, but I never heard back. And again, it could be for a number of reasons, but go through, don't be scared as designers. I think often people might be a little bit scared to directly approach people on LinkedIn because they feel like they might be crossing barriers or, you know, boundaries or something like that. But you know, most a lot of my business that I win and, and with new clients that I work with is me directly approaching the hiring managers about candidates. But you know, candidates can do that themselves. Essentially, you know, good designers, designers. You know, if you go directly to the hiring manager, often you can skip out the whole application part of being screened by someone who might not be a specialist and introduce yourself that way and introduce yourself in a way that's really. Obviously, maintaining professional, but of course, a bit more of a relaxed introduction, introduce yourself, your portfolio, you know, why you're interested in potentially working there. And from my experience, lots of design managers, lots of hiring managers in design are not going to turn you down at that point. Even if it's a no, they'll probably tell you why. But at least you've got an answer at that point. But yeah, I think just be as proactive as you possibly can in this job market today because it is so competitive. Go the extra mile. As I said, sometimes it does become a little bit like a full-time job looking for a new job. But unfortunately, you can't just rely on just applying to job adverts and things like that anymore. Those are great tips. I really love what you just said. And I want to follow up on that tip, which would be, yeah. so you said something about it's not the best position if you get laid off and then looking for a job or if you don't have a job and you're looking for a job. But if you compare it to dating, for example, right? Mm -hmm. So you have two types of people, the type of people that looking for the next type of partner while they're already dating with another person and just, you know, checking their opportunities. And you have people that you know, feeling very good about themselves. They don't currently don't date anyone, but they're very, very yeah. focused about what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to say here is that not having a job while looking for a job is also a good opportunity to redefine your craft, maybe find some kind of a niche or yeah. maybe look back at what you already worked on and see how we could, you could package it in a way that would yeah. be more marketing worthy to a company so if you work for a fintech company maybe you can pack yeah. yourself as the exactly, fintech yeah. designer or the fintech ux writer and then reach out specifically to fintech companies that are hiring something like that yeah yeah, yeah no 100 like 
give you a prime example of as, as my life as a recruiter is that when I we aim to try and find the best candidates out there, right? They might not necessarily be actively looking for a new position. And often the people that place into new roles, when I first approach them, tell me I'm not actively looking, I'm not looking for a position at all. At that point, you generally know that they are probably doing well at their company. They might be a very good designer. So it's in my best intention to try and find them. Now, when we do engage with very good candidates, what we, what I often start, my starting point to try and potentially find them something that could be of interest to them based off of what they've told me is that if they say, look, I've been in feel like we'll use the same example as yourself. I've been in FinTech for the last five years. I really enjoy it and want to stay in it. My first point of call is to probably go and shortlist 20 FinTech companies in Berlin outside of the company they're obviously working for and try and suggest them to the hiring managers there. Because I know based off of what you know, based off their experience and based off what companies they're working for and their fintech experience, generally hiring managers often tell me, look, we're a fintech business, fintech experience or prior fintech experience will be really beneficial for this role. So exactly what you said, people should look at, obviously, if they've been a, if they've been a generalist and they've been from sector to sector, worked in different sets and industries, then it might be a little bit more difficult to package themselves as a specialist in that particular field. However, I do completely agree with you. I think they can really start to package themselves as, you know, if, they're, if they've been in fintech for a number of years and they want to stay in that and want to try and apply for a fintech job, you know, try and tailor your CV, tailor your portfolio, really hone in on the fintech experience, the fintech side of things to gain the interest of the hiring managers as much as you can. And as I said, look, networking specifically on LinkedIn is such a powerful thing. So as I said, whether it's the direct hiring manager, whether it's the CEO of the business, whether it's designer, whether it's the internal talent team, whoever it might be, try and connect with as many people there as possible. Get your name out there, get yourself in front of them. And you give yourself a much better opportunity of you know, securing interviews at that point than you do if you just apply with the 200 other people that might be applying. Awesome. I love that. Very, you know, motivational. And I feel like many people find value in uh, this conversation, which is awesome. And by the way, even if you're a generalist and you jump from different sectors, I think that could be also the opportunity if you want to work for an agency that work with many different clients. That also could yeah. be an opportunity. But I'm an optimistic guy, always. <laughs> yeah. Where can we find opportunities? I'm curious to know because I'm not, I don't know the recruitment sides of things. So how does you work for the Eurobase, right? Which is, I would say it's a recruitment agency. Yeah, sure. And with specialists and so on. So... How does like the back end of the recruitment agency looks like? So your clients would be the companies? Yeah, sure. So as an external agency, our aim is to provide the clients that we work with as as much help as we possibly can, whether that's literally just market information and updates, all the way down to growing their team from one designer to 20 designers, right? Now, as I said, not every recruitment agency does specialist part. You know, some recruitment agencies are much more generic. Some might work on tech as general. They might help clients with every tech role that they have. Here at Eurobase specifically, we split into specific niches and specialisms. So myself, I cover product and design. A colleague covers front-end development, other back-end development. We have different cities that we might focus in and things like that to try and really become at the forefront of that specific market so that we can be in the best position to help the clients that we work with in the best way. When it comes to clients, it massively depends on their needs and their situation as to how much effort and time we put into that specific client. Sometimes that comes down to urgency. In all honesty, sometimes it comes down to how much they're willing to pay us as well, of course. But yeah, generally, you know, 
we are here. I think the common misconception of recruiters is that we're just CV senders, right? You know, we're literally just here to, we, you know, get sent a job description by a client and then send CVs based off what their job description is. There is so much more that goes into it. We try and become business partners as as much as we possibly can more consultants you know our job title is recruitment consultant at the end of the day we're not cv send consultants and we're in the market day to day speaking to you know the people we want to speak to for me i speak to designers every day so you can gather so much information so much market insight into doing that and that's where we can really provide the value is that as I said, with the market information that we can gather, it gives the hiring managers completely different perspectives on what's happening at the moment. Specifically, like prime example, salaries over the last year have changed so drastically for designers and companies have had to adhere to that. And I was having, I had so many conversations at the start of the year when salaries started to shift and saying, look, this is what I'm seeing at the moment, specifically with senior product designers mainly, or senior designers, senior UX writers, senior researchers that specific pool of candidates are driving the salaries up massively at the moment. And we're seeing a big, like a drastic change. So when I first started design, probably like a year and a half ago, two years ago, maybe when I first started doing design recruitment specifically, designers are probably like senior designers, probably getting paid like maybe 55, 60K maximum in Berlin. Like that's where it was seeing. I did engineering recruitment before and I saw a distinct difference in engineering salaries between designers. But as we speak today, like it's probably not any difference in engineering salaries to designers, maybe 5, 10K here and there, depending on where they are and how senior they might be. But the senior product design salaries have been driven up massively due to the huge demand coming back off COVID of design talent because we saw the need for so much digitization. There's so many new digital products coming out. You need designers for that. So that drove up the demand for seniors. And then the salaries, of course, drove up from there. How much do your designers earn? They're like you said, 50, 60 back then so how much today yeah from 50 to 60 i'd say the typical senior bracket in berlin is probably anywhere between 70 to 85 now probably that's cool yeah that's where i would see it as it stands i think researchers are a little bit behind that bracket maybe 5 10k here and there behind the, that typical average because it's a bit more of a newer concept as an individual different role. I think a lot of companies are looking to invest or looking to potentially build separate research departments to their design departments. But I think where it's a bit more of a newer concept to have a separate UX researcher who is dedicated to that part, the salaries aren't quite as they are in design at the moment. But yeah, I think that's pretty much where they are at at the moment. Did you have a chance to see UX writers and content designers? Yeah, I say UX writers and content designers. Again, where it they it might be a little bit more of a newer concept, a new individual role that companies might hire for. The salaries might be a little bit less. I'd probably say anywhere between sixty to seventy-five for maybe a senior UX writer at the moment, because I think it's because there isn't necessarily an understanding of the market in that specific space yet. Because there's not tons and tons of UX writer positions open or content design positions open. There's of course like thousands of product design positions that have been open across the year, I think generally the understanding of the market's a lot more in that sense. But yeah, I think within like UX writing, I think 60 to 75 is probably where it's essentially that at the moment. In Berlin. All right. That's awesome. In the US, I know it's above six figures. We had our salary survey. Yeah. Uh, do, you work, do you work also with the freelancers as well? 
or only yeah so i have dabbled is probably the best word i've only i don't focus on freelance stuff i only service clients if they need a freelance designer i'm actively working with if they say look we've got a freelance requirement i'll help out and i'll find someone funnily enough the next episode that is coming out hopefully tomorrow of my podcast i spoke to a freelance designer who has been doing it for 20 so he started off 20 years ago doing freelance design and has obviously seen the huge shift in what you know product design ux designers yeah the huge change there since over that period and that's the main topics we cover in that podcast is shift and the changes that you've seen. Freelance design is a tough place at the minute. Obviously, for obvious reasons, you know, finance, when there's financial crisis, when there's financial problems, everyone knows that freelancers get paid a lot more than <laughs> permanent guys do. And they're the first to go. They're the first cost-cutting method, I think, when it comes to looking at where they can get save money. And because they're not necessarily seen as a internal employee or seen as part of the core team at companies, yeah, they are often disregarded and the first people to go when it comes to saving money. For instance, yeah, Pascal, who the, the guy who I did the podcast with, he said that, you know, most of the time, like if the market's fine, he receives tons and tons of messages for freelance projects and never really struggles. But, you know, he struggled over the last two, three months to, to get anything. And that's someone, you know, with 20 years experience of doing it. So you can see that there is certainly a difficulty in the freelance market at the moment for designers. Again, I think it will change. It will pick up hopefully when things do pick up generally as a market. But I think there's certainly more need for permanent guys than there is freelance at the moment. Awesome. So your clients get paid based on successful placements or they just hire you to do your thing? And how does it work exactly? Yeah, so there's, there is plenty of different business models that we can work to. And there's plenty of different business models that you know, recruitment agencies as a whole have now. You know, it, I think the typical one, the most common associated one is what you mentioned there, the success-based model where, you know, we were only paid on, on successful placements. But there's many different business models now. You know, there's things like often associated with law called retainers, where we get paid upfront a certain amount of money to work on the roles. And when we do the candidate, then we'll get the rest of the fee or the remainder of the agreed fee after that. Sometimes the retainer works in like you get paid a third upfront and a third after you shortlist the candidates and a third after the placement. You know, so many different ways now. What I'm seeing a lot of agencies or new businesses coming is something where they do like an embedded model. So they get paid a certain amount per month for a specific amount of time. So they might do like a six-month project. They get paid monthly X amount of money, but then they become like an embedded talent partner. So they essentially become like an internal recruiter for that for that company without actually being directly employed by them. So there's, there is, since I think since I started certainly and since recruitment's been about, there's been a, a massive, as any industry does, there's, a, there's obviously more creative, different ways of working, different ways of integrating with businesses and things like that. But yeah, I think success space is the... I would say probably the most common that everyone associates recruiters with. <laughs> That's awesome. And what kind of the way that attracts you to different designers? Like, do you have a poll of many people that you're just in touch with on a daily basis or you kind of hunt them on LinkedIn? How does it work exactly? It's massively dependent on the client requirements, firstly. Me, myself, like, I try and network as much as I possibly can on a day-to-day -day basis. So any designer I'm more than happy to speak to because you never know for the future. You might have something for them. You might be able to work with them in the future. I don't plan on going anywhere soon, to be honest. I want to stay in this market for a long time. So I try and network as much as I possibly can. But when it comes to finding designers who I try and interact with and engage with, it is massively dependent on the client requirements to be honest what initially so whenever a new client relationship starts generally the first conversation is a 45 minute hour call potentially on understanding their requirements as much detail as possible now 
the reason why I said about us not just being CV pushers that um, th- these calls are really in-depth, detailed calls about everything that we can gather on that initial call. So the inside scoop on the situation with the team, more mo- most commonly why they are now hiring. So is it a replacement? Is it due to growth? Is it a specific project that needs additional help, et cetera, et cetera? So we try and find out as much as we can on that initial conversation to be able to so we can be able to obviously shortlist and find the right people for them because as you probably know, <laughs> design can change very frequently across different companies, their viewpoints on what they want, whether they need someone who's more UX heavy, someone who's more visual design or UI design orientated. Sometimes it's not very apparent on job descriptions and things like that. That's why we try and engage as much as we possibly can with the hiring manager to really understand what their needs are. And sometimes the hiring manager doesn't even know, <laughs> which makes it more difficult. But yeah, at that point, once we've got the requirements, it's often what I do and what everyone does. Generally, what I'd hope the the good ones out there do is that you then go away and then create the shortlist of people that you think would be good for this. Now, it's usually all done through LinkedIn, to be honest. I think most recruiters out there, their shortlist will all be created over LinkedIn. And this is where we have our like recruitment tool, our recruitment version of LinkedIn, where we can, you know, analyze profiles, shortlist them to create a shortlist for specific roles. And then we can start approaching them on LinkedIn, start approaching them through different various methods, trying to be as inclusive and as approachable as we possibly can. It's difficult. Designers get hit up by thousands of people. So often it is very difficult to stand out and to try and get engagement from the you know the really good people that you want to engage with. But yeah, essentially that's is the process of, of getting the shortlist together, approaching the people you want to approach when they come back to you. Then it's about having the screening calls, the qualification calls of going through their you know CV portfolios with them, understanding their motivations, what's potentially going wrong at their company, what they want to avoid in this next opportunity. And then presenting them with the opportunity you've got or multiple opportunities at at that point. I think as recruiters, we're always trying to win the game, essentially. You know, we want to be the ones who do find them the new role. It's highly competitive. If we can provide three opportunities for every designer that we engage with, great, because it increases our chances of obviously placing them. But yeah, I think I've, I've definitely seen a little bit of a shift with probably even like two or three months ago that I was speaking to designers who had three or four offers or other interview processes that are in. And now I'm seeing that they might just have one or two others that they might be in, included in or might have nothing uh, because of the, the market situation now. Um, but yeah, that's generally the process that we'd we'd follow. Amazing. The tool that you were mentioning, is it like a LinkedIn tool? Yeah, it's, it's literally called LinkedIn Recruiter. So there's different levels of the license that you can have. So it depends on your business needs, depends on how many people need to have it and things like that. But essentially what it allows us to do it is it allows us to, of course, as I said, shortlist the candidates, put them all in one central location for different roles, but it allows us to do many other things as well. So it allows us to message people that we're not connected with on LinkedIn. It allows us to gain market insights into different businesses so we can see how much they've grown over the last X amount of time. We can see where those growths are happening. So it provides a lot of insights, like insight analytics into businesses. It provides us pretty much who the hiring managers are for specific departments as well. So it gives us like a fast track into that essentially. There's plenty more things that you can do with it. Again, the search like methodologies that you can use on it are very in detail. You know, we can refine who we're searching for very effectively. So it allows us to find the right people a lot quicker. But yeah, I think most recruiters out there will have it or have used it before. <laughs> awesome. All right, that's the end of the interview. The last question that I usually ask my guests would be, Matt, how do you think we should name this episode? 
It is a tough one. I think it's got to be something re- recruitment, <laughs> recruitment direction. I don't know. Maybe the I don't know. Maybe the like the current state of the Berlin design market or something like that. I think it's more international markets. It's not yeah. even Berlin. Like you yeah, talked yeah. about Berlin, but that's like a microcosmos yeah. of what's happening all over the world yeah. right now. I mean, yeah. I mean, the current state of the design market was probably be as accurate as I could get. I think we've covered off a lot of topics within, as you said, within design and just the state of the market currently, more from a business financial perspective, perhaps. But yeah, I think that would be good. Good title. <laughs> I think it's good. Or maybe something like how to get a job. In the current state, <laughs> yeah. how to yeah. find a job to, in the current state. Yeah, of- how to get a job, message me and I'll get you one. Would you recommend like uh, UX writing folks to reach out to recruitment agencies for th- this type of uh, Yeah, placement? for sure. I think, I think, as I said, UX writing is a bit more of a newer concept than design in general. So there might not be necessarily direct specialists for UX writing in recruitment. There probably are some out there, don't get me wrong. But I think when UX writers, any like anyone in UX or design, when you're working with a recruiter, I would try and find a specialist in the market. I would try and find someone who actively is engaged in the market. You know that they are. You can see on their profile that they focus on design and things like that because they're probably going to be the best ones to help you out in this next role. But yeah, I would definitely say, look, there are great recruiters out there. There are people that generally will help you and be able to help you, not only from a, a job perspective, but even you know, portfolio perspective. Like I've, I've invested a lot of time into speaking to hiring managers about what a portfolio needs to look like. I won't. I probably couldn't help you out on actually designing it and uh, you know what to necessarily include from a visual design perspective, but I certainly know what content should be. And yeah, you know, recruiters can help you in more ways than you think. So yeah, definitely, definitely engage with as many people and specialists in, as you can. That's awesome, Matt. Thank you so much for joining me today for this call. No problem. Appreciate it. I've enjoyed it. <laughs> me too, me too. All right. Thank you everyone for joining us for another episode of Writers in Tech. My name is Yuval Kestrich. I'm the founder of the UX Writing Hub. Check out our website. We have a weekly newsletter, a free UX writing course, a blog that we update on a weekly basis. What we're trying to do here is to help as many people to find a job and get into the field of UX writing and content design and UX in general and so on. Thank you and see you next time. Bye.